Well, again, good morning. As I said at the start of our service, we are continuing in this series in the book of Romans that we are calling the gospel's greatest hits. And the reason we're spending time in this book is because of the fact that it is within the book of Romans that we get an amazing summary of what it means to be a Christian. Because it's in this book that Paul kind of summarizes the entire Bible, speaking specifically about what is the gospel, what is the good news, who is it for, and ultimately how is it supposed to shape our lives. And last week, Pastor Mark did a really good job of starting us off thinking about how it shapes our lives by looking at the first half of Romans chapter 8, in which he talks about what it means to live life in the Spirit. How God's Spirit uh, guides us and sustains us as we go about our day-to-day lives. And we're going to be kind of continuing with that theme this morning. Uh, But I want to take a few moments um, just that we might allow God to prepare our hearts and our minds to receive the message he has for us. So would you please bow your heads and pray with me. Let's pray together. Lord God, we give you thanks that you have brought us together this morning. That it is your desire to teach us, to help us to know you, and to help us to grow, to grow into the people that you've called us to be. And so, Lord, we would ask this morning that you would open our hearts and minds to receive the message that you have for us. And Lord, I pray that the words of my lips and the meditation of my heart would be pleasing in your sight, O God, who is indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So I want to start by asking a question What do you want to be when you grow up? I mean, this is a question that we often ask our kids, right? We sit around the kitchen table, we ask our kids from time to time, what do you you want to be when you grow up? And what I love about like listening to kids is how often that answer will change. I mean, when I look back at my own childhood, there are countless things that I wanted to be. First, I wanted to be a paleontologist because I wanted to dig up dinosaur bones. And then I saw Indiana Jones. So I wanted to be an archaeologist because I thought that that's what archaeologists did, was they went on adventures and punched Nazis and, you know, always got the girl and the cool treasure at the end. But, you know, you you go, you ask a kid year to year to year, and it's always going to change. In fact, I love asking my kids what they're going to be. I'm trying to remember what my son has said. I think what he said is that he wants to be a race car driver pastor who's also an astronaut on the side. I think that that was, that, that is, those are his career goals. I said, what do you want to be when you grow up? He's like, hey, I want to be a race car driving pastor, but I also want to go to Saturn. It's like, nice. You know, it's kind of cute. It's cute to ask our kids the questions, what, what do you want to be when you grow up? But it's important for our text this morning. It's important for our text this morning because, as Pastor Mark shared last week, Romans chapter 8 tells us something about who we are. In Romans 8, one of the things that Paul tells us is he says that we are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. What that means is that we are children who one day are going to grow up into something. And so that question of what do you want to be when you grow up is a very important question, a very pertinent question for us, especially as we're looking at Romans chapter 8 verses 18 and following because it's here that Paul gives us a glimpse of what we are intended to grow up into. And it's a very important question because while it may be cute to ask our children, I think that there are many adults who also wrestle with this question of who am I supposed to be? 
In fact, I remember uh, when I was in college sitting down at the kitchen table talking with my dad. And I was wrestling. I was wrestling with my major. I was trying to decide, do I want to stay in the program that I'm in? Should I switch to another program? I was just kind of going back and forth because I wasn't sure. And one of the things that my dad said is he said, you know, Nick, I always thought it was ridiculous that we would tell young people at the age of 18 that you need to decide what, the career, what your career is going to be for the rest of your life. He said, I think that that's silly because, you know, I'm, I'm in my late 40s and I'm still trying to figure out what I'm going to be when I grow up. And I think that that's true, that there are many of us who wonder, who am I supposed to be? Who, what, what is the life that I'm leading pointing me toward? Where am I called to go? And the reason why we ask that question is because, honestly, we don't know. We think it might be our job and our career, but then that career ends. And then we ask the question, okay, so now what? Now what am I supposed to do? I think part of the reason so many people live aimless lives is because we don't have a clear picture of what the end is supposed to be all about. We don't have a clear direction or understanding of what our ultimate destination is. And that's why I think our passage for this morning is so important. So if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn with me now to Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 18. And if you're using the Pew Bible, uh, you will actually find our passage on page 944. Page 944. And again, uh, I wanted to say about that Pew Bible, if you don't have a Bible of your own, take that Pew Bible. Let that be our gift to you because we want you marking this up. We want you taking notes in the margins. We want you really studying this text with us. So again, uh, 944 if you're using the Pew Bible. Otherwise, we're in Romans chapter 8, verse 18. Because what we find in Romans 8, 18 and following is we find three things that help us to understand who we are called to be. The first thing that, that we find here is we find a sense of purpose. That right here in Romans chapter 8, Paul says we actually have a purpose. This is what he writes in verses 28 to 30. He says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. You see, when a Christian is asked the question, what do you want to be when you grow up? The answer, quite simply, is, I desire to be more like Jesus. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. When people ask us, what is, what is Christian life supposed to look like? How are we supposed to act and behave? How are we supposed to set priorities and make decisions? What is our ultimate end? Who will we be when we grow up? The answer of the Christian is Jesus. Quite simply, Christ. That is our destiny. That is our purpose. We are to be conformed to the image of Christ. And the question that we daily have to ask ourselves is, am I growing to become more and more like Jesus or less and less like him? 
Because that is supposed to be the trajectory of our lives. Now, there's been a lot of debate about this, about this passage in particular, because people will look at this and they'll say, what does it mean that those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son? We kind of get hung up on that word predestined. But again, I think it's important to think about this question for just a minute. The, The question is not what does predestination itself mean, but simply who is predestined and for what end? Because one of the things that it says before that, if we read this in context, is it says, those whom he foreknew. Now this is important because in Greek, there's actually two words for knowing. There's one word, which is gnosko, which means to know someone intimately. To know someone as one would know a family member or a friend or a spouse. And the second is oida. It's a word that means simply to know, have head knowledge or understanding about something. And what's interesting here is Paul is using the first word, gnosko. He's using this word that means those whom God knows intimately. Those whom God knows as his children. That answers the who. Who is predestined? Those whom God knows as his children. And then that uh, then answers the question, Paul, predestined for what? He says they have been predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Quite simply, what Paul is saying is he's saying, if you are a child of God, it means that you have a destiny, a set purpose, an end to your life that God has already put you on the path toward. Your destiny is to become more like Jesus, to daily grow up into the image of the one who saved you, to become more and more like your Lord and Savior. So when people look and they they tell me, you know, that Christianity is simply a, a religion of rules, that it's simply about keeping a checklist of things that we are supposed to do, I think that what this passage says is that you've totally missed the point. Christianity is not about what you do, it's about who you are and who you are becoming. It's about becoming more like Jesus. This is part of the reason why that has become our mission statement as a church. People say, what's your mission statement? What what does it mean to be a part of Trinity? I say, well, quite simply, we are called to look, live, and love more like Jesus and to help others do the same. That's it. And the reason why is because of this text. Who am I supposed to be? What kind of life am I supposed to lead? The answer that Paul gives is he says, you are supposed to become more like Christ. That's your purpose. That's the reason that he saved you. That is the end that he has in mind, is that you would become more like him. And imagine just for a moment that you actually started your day knowing that. How would your day change if in the morning when you woke up, you got down on your knees and you simply said, God, help me today to become more like Jesus. Lord, align my heart my attitudes, my actions, and my thinking, that they would more and more reflect the character of your son. You see, I think when we have a purpose, when we have a trajectory in life, when we have this clear picture of who we are and who we're supposed to be, of what our ultimate end and destiny is, it does reshape the day-to-day choices that we make. To ask the question, what would Jesus do today if he were in my shoes? What choices would he make? What relationships would he pursue? How would he interact with the people that he meets? 
You see, that is our purpose. That's our calling, is to become more like Christ. And so we begin our day saying, Lord, help me live into that purpose. But the second gift that we get that helps us as we think about growing up into Christ is we receive the gift of patience. We receive the gift of patience. Listen to this. This is uh, verses uh, 18 to 27. He says, For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself would be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole of creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as, some, uh, as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. We wait for it with patience. You see, one of the gifts that God's Holy Spirit gives us is he gives us patience in the midst of suffering. That's how Paul begins this section. I consider the sufferings of this present time not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed. And the reason this is important is because suffering has a way of blinding us. That oftentimes when we're on life and we're trying to pursue some goal, difficulty comes along and it kind of knocks us off our path. It blinds us to the direction that we're headed. It wraps us up in all the difficulties and challenges of our circumstances so that we can no longer see where we are ultimately supposed to go. We often use that phrase, you know, blinding pain. That moment when you get hurt so bad you can't even see. I remember blinding uh, pain being very, very vividly kind of uh, having a very vivid experience with blinding pain when I was in Little League. You see, I was uh, in Little League. We were practicing catching fly balls, and I remember it was a particularly sunny day, and the fly ball goes up, and I look up, and I thought that blinding was the sun because I lost the ball in that sun, and then I learned a different kind of blinding as that ball came over the top of my glove, landed right on the bridge of my nose, broke my nose, and I couldn't see anything. And I just kind of lay there on the ground looking up and being just like, that's it. I just lost my sight. You see, that's blinding pain. It's when you get hit so hard, you can no longer see what's going on around you. But I would argue that blinding pain doesn't just apply to physical injury. That oftentimes there are those seasons in life when something so catastrophic happens that we can no longer see any good, no longer see any purpose, no longer see any direction in our lives. Maybe it's we encounter sickness or we lose a loved one. And suddenly we wonder, where is God? What direction, what purpose does he have for me in my life? And we were just knocked off kilter. And what Paul says here is, he says, one of the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives us is patience in the midst of suffering. I don't consider the sufferings of this present time are even worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. That's what he's saying. It gives us patience because we know that although we look around at our world and we see brokenness and violence and injustice and greed and disease and death, what Paul is saying is here is he's saying, but we know that that's not the end goal for our world. 
that God is in the process of remaking our world and that when Jesus comes again, all of these things which cause pain and suffering will be wiped away, that he is making all things new. And so when I encounter pain and suffering in the world, I'm able to encounter it with patience. With patience knowing that this pain, this suffering is but a moment compared to the destiny that God has planned for the entire created order. But it also gives us patience with ourselves. I love what Paul actually says in verses uh, 26 and 27. He says, Likewise, the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. See, one of the things that we also receive is patience, not just with the world, but we receive patience with ourselves. See, oftentimes we're walking along, we're trying to do our best, we're trying to walk in faith, and we know, uh, we know abundantly the ways in which we've fallen short. We know the ways in which our faith is lacking. We know the ways in which we are struggling. And one of the things that Paul tells us in this passage is he says, even in those moments, the Spirit is helping you in your weakness. The Holy Spirit is helping you in your weakness. Even in those moments when you don't know what to pray, God's Spirit is praying for you. That the Holy Spirit comes to us, whether we're in the midst of suffering or we're simply struggling with our own shortcomings, one of the promises here is that God's Holy Spirit doesn't abandon you in those circumstances. Rather, he is at work praying for you, interceding for you, and deeply at work within you to continue to conform you to the image of Christ. And this is important. This kind of patience is important because in those moments when we fall short, in those moments when we fail, the Holy Spirit is the one reminding us you are not a failure. You are simply a work in progress. You're being conformed to the image of Christ. He's shaping you into his character. You're not there yet, but you are a work in progress. See, the Holy Spirit gives us purpose. He gives us patience. But last but not least, he gives us power. This is perhaps one of the most famous parts in the book of Romans. And I just want to read this really quick. Listen to this. After talking about all the gifts that the Spirit gives us, Paul then concludes this chapter with these words, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who is raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. But I say no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord." 
See, one of the things that Paul is saying is here is he is saying the Holy Spirit now gives you power, power that will not allow you to be separated from God's love, power which will ensure that this work that he's doing within you to conform you to the image of Jesus is a work that he will bring to completion one day. And so he says, whenever somebody comes against you to accuse you of falling short, know that you have power to say, I am forgiven, I am justified, and I am accepted in the sight of God. That in those moments, when you feel like you are falling short because of your own weakness and your own struggles, you have the Holy Spirit who dwells within you, who is interceding for you, who is reminding you of God's love and who is helping you to grow. And in those moments when you encounter suffering and pain and trial and hardship, the Spirit is the one standing by your side and dwelling within you to say, this is not the end. Your suffering is simply a blink in time. For you are destined for something so much greater. That though you may die, your grave cannot hold you. That though pain may come, it will one day be wiped away. For God has indeed destined us for an eternity, an eternity with him in which he will make all things new. See, one of the things that I love about being a Christian is the assurance that we have. When I talk to people of other religious backgrounds and I say, where do you find hope? Where do you find hope in life? They usually point to some sort of uh, a future uh, occurrence. So for those who are maybe Buddhist or Hindu, it's, well, I, I, I hope one day to be freed from this cycle of, of karma and rebirth and, and ultimately attain nirvana. Or I talk to, to Muslims and they say, well, one day I, I hope to be in paradise. And I say, how do you know for sure, though? How do you know for sure that that's your ultimate destiny? How do you know that there's an afterlife? How do you know that there's something beyond the grave, something that you can cling to and you can hope in? And they say, well, I, 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 I don't. I, I'm hoping. But I don't really have a whole lot of evidence. But one of the things that we have as Christians is we actually have evidence. People come to me and they say, how do you know there's something beyond the grave? And I get to say, because Jesus' tomb was empty. They say, how do you know that there's a resurrection from the dead? Because Jesus Christ himself rose from the dead in time and in space. You want to know for sure that life eternal exists? You want to know for sure that death is not the end? You need only look to that empty tomb in AD 30 to know the fact that God is indeed powerful enough to raise people from the dead. When we say we have hope, it's not a pie in the sky hope. It's not wishful thinking. It's something that clings to the reality of what God has already done. And that's why Paul says these things. He says, Christ Jesus, the one who died, and more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. And so because Jesus is risen from the dead, I know for certain that neither death nor life, angels nor rulers, things present or things to come, height nor depth nor anything else in all creation is able to separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus my Lord. That's a powerful statement. That's a powerful reality. It allows us to move forward boldly and bravely into a world that is broken, into a world that, in which we will face trials and temptations, into a world of pain and suffering, and we get to say with boldness and with confidence, I know how this story ends. 
And so today I can step out my door with purpose, with peace, and with power. That is the hope for which we are destined. That's the reason Paul says in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Because if you are immortal, then what can this life possibly throw at you? Children, yes. But children of our heavenly father. Children, yes. But co-heirs with Christ. Children, yes. But children who will one day grow up to be more than conquerors through Christ Jesus, through him who loved us. My prayer for us this morning is that in those moments when we encounter suffering, when we struggle with our own weaknesses, when we're wondering what our purpose would be, that we would look back at Romans 8 and we would look to the image of Christ and we would simply say, I know what my destiny is. I know who I will be when I grow up. I will be more like Jesus. And my prayer is that that end, that purpose, would indeed give us confidence to daily step out into our world, not aimlessly, but directed toward eternity. And that those we encounter would come to know the peace and the power and the purpose that only comes through knowing Jesus Christ. And it's with that in mind that I invite you to pray with me. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we give you thanks that you have indeed saved us for a great purpose. And that by your Holy Spirit dwelling within us, we know that we can have peace and patience in a broken world. And so, Lord, in those moments when we're distracted and blinded by difficulty and trial, may we remember you. May we set our eyes and our hope on you. For it is in you that we do indeed have all of our hope, all of our confidence. It's in your name, Lord Jesus, that we pray. Amen.